This is an ICGC Cornerstone podcast. At Cornerstone, we believe in the power of the Word of God to transform lives and empower people to influence their generation. And now, time for the message. Welcome to church this morning. It's good to see all of you. And I believe that today's message is going to be a blessing to you. It's already been an exceptional service. And so we are trusting God to move in an extraordinary way. The title of my message today is Here for It. Here for It. According to the Urban Dictionary, not the the known ones, the urban one, Here for It means or it's a phrase that expresses pleasure or support for something. So when you meet someone and the person says, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. But the person is saying, I'm here to support you. And I find pleasure in what you are saying. Let's open our Bibles to Luke 19. Luke 19, 1 to 9. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, share your Bible with your neighbor. Be nice. Be nice. And I read, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed into a a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord. I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. This verse in verse 10 is really the foundation of my message to you today. Interestingly, verse 10 is one of two times that Jesus makes or claims this, makes the statement the son of man. He uses it first in Luke 7, and this scripture that we just read is the second time Jesus uses this phrase. And in both moments, Jesus uses it to announce the fact that he's a Messiah. So now the fact that he is God in the flesh. The son of man is a prophetic statement which Jesus is used to announce his mission on earth. He says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This really was the essence of his ministry. This really was the central focus of Jesus' life and ministry. And it's amazing that as Jesus walked through this earth, he decided to partner with us, with human beings, to accomplish this 
mission. God desires that we join him in his, mess, in his mission. I want you to write this down. God could not save the world all by himself. But he invites his children to participate in his mission. You know what? God is patient with us. God puts up with our weaknesses. He puts up with our failures. He puts up with our shortcomings. He even puts up with our complaints and our laziness. And he finds a way of working through our brokenness because he wants us to participate in his mission. He wants us to partner with him on what he came to do, to seek and to save that which was lost. And my question for you this morning is that, are you here for it? Are you here to participate with him? Are you here to support this mission? Do you find pleasure in this mission? The scripture that we just read, we, we read that Jesus is passing through Jericho. But Jericho is not Jesus' final destination. Jerusalem is Jesus' final destination. At Jerusalem, really, it's where his purpose all boils down to. It was at Jerusalem where Jesus was betrayed. It was at Jerusalem where he died a horrible death just so that you and I could come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and to mend our relationship with his father. Jerusalem was always the goal. Jerusalem was always the prize. Jerusalem was the vision of why Jesus came. Everything that Jesus did from the day he was born to the day he died was leading him to Jerusalem. Everything came up. That was the goal of his life. But it's interesting that he gets to a place called Jericho and he pauses. Jericho is just a place on the way. Jericho is not his final destination. Jericho is just, just happens to be there. But he still pauses in the here and says that whatever is happening on my way to my goal, I'm, I'm here for it. And it's interesting that each and every single one of us, we have a goal in mind. We have a destination in mind. I hope each and every single one of us here has a vision which drives our lives. But us we have there in mind, we still have to have here in mind. Even though we have a destination in mind, we have to have here in mind. I want you to write this down. Many people want purpose. Not many people want process. There are times where we have there in mind, our vision in mind. And it's good to have your purpose in mind, but we discount all the places along the way. To every mission, there's a purpose. And to every purpose, to, to every mission, there's a process, sorry. And to every process, there's a purpose. Write this down. What you do here in this moment is what makes there even more significant. We notice that for Jesus, that even though he was on his way to Jerusalem, on his way there, he doesn't hesitate to be present in the moment of here. Jesus' gaze is across, but he says, whatever opportunity comes my way in the middle of the vision, I'm going to attend to it. And we live in a world where we forget the here. 
And we are all focused on the there. But we see from Jesus that he is intentionally looking for what can I do in this moment? What can I do? You know, one of the dangerous things that we can do in our lives is to think that our there is our here. It's to live our lives thinking that this earth is our destination. To live our lives thinking that this place is our goal. But this morning, I'm here to announce to you that here is not your there. Here is your here. We are just passing through. This earth is temporary. The Bible tells us that our lives are but a vapor. We are here one day, the next day we are not. Our there is where we spend eternity. We are just here on our way to there. Our there is where we decide all the things we do here accumulates to there. So it's good to have there in mind. It's good to have heaven in mind. It's good to have heaven as your focus. But what do you do whilst you are here? Because what you do whilst you are here adds up to what you do or what happens in the there. This earth, this life is but a vapor. All the things that we accumulate here has no eternal significance. All the things that we do here, I love this earth. I love my life in this earth, honestly. I have a gorgeous husband. Yes. I adore my kids. I love y'all, my Cornerstone fam. I love y'all so much. Yes, just a few. Oh, my God. Love you right back. So I love you all. But we are passing through. But Jesus says that even if there is your focus and heaven is your focus, and even though here is temporary, there's something you have to do here. I want to partner with you here. So Cornerstone fam, today my question to you is, as you sit here in Cornerstone, and we put together things that would cause people to have an eternal decision to make here, are you here for it? Are you just here to warm up seats or are you here to do something? Do you participate in Chubbox Drive? Do you serve God with your gifts and your talents? Do you invite someone to church? Are you here for what we are doing? There are certain things that we do here right now in this moment that even though the earth is but a vapor and your life is but a vapor, once you bring someone to the saving knowledge of Christ, that thing that you've done has eternal significance. So God says, partner with me and let's cause eternal significance to happen for people. Are you here for it? So Jesus is passing through Jericho. And the scripture introduces us to an amazing and interesting man called Zacchaeus. And the Bible says that he is a chief tax collector. And in biblical times, the tax collectors were probably one of the most hated people. If you wanted to be hated, go and be a tax collector. This is not GRU. <laughs> These people are more dangerous than GRU. I know some of you have, have meant GRU. But tax collectors were probably one of the worst sinners. And it's because they chose to work for a very dangerous regime called the Roman Empire. 
And if you know anything about the Roman Empire about 2,000 years ago, you know that these guys were one of the most powerful people ever. But they got their power not because they were nice and not because people liked them. They got their power because of brutality. According to history, these are the people that would ransack a city. They would turn it upside down. They would burn down. They would burn it down to the uttermost. These are people that would rape women. These are people that would murder men. These are people that would sacrifice children. These are people, you know, they used to do this thing to scare people. And they would line up streets with beheaded heads. And they will rest it on spears. And they will line the streets. Just so you know. Don't mess with us. These were the people that were oppressing the Jews. And now you have Zacchaeus. A Jewish man. Who chooses to work for such evil people. It's a choice that Zacchaeus made. Zacchaeus was not forced to be a tax collector. He one day woke up and said, I want to actually find what you do. And what tax collectors do really is to go to their fellow Jews and collect tax and give it to the Romans. But it's interesting that Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector. Matthew was a tax collector. The Bible tells us that Zacchaeus is the chief of all of them. He's the one, you could say that he's probably the original mafia boss. He's the one that has employed others to do his work. He's the one that makes extra money. The Bible says he was rich. And he didn't make his money out of honest living. He made his money out of adding more money to the taxes that the Roman Empire demanded from his people. This guy was hated. No one likes him. Zacchaeus represents someone who is difficult to love. You are trying, but you can't. You want to love them, but they are making it too difficult for you to love them. Society will be better without these people. Zacchaeus represents someone who chooses wickedness and evil over doing good. This is someone who backstabs and will be laughing. This is someone who will gossip about you and would be happy about it. Zacchaeus represents someone who is lost. Someone that has not come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. By all standards, this man is wicked. By all standards, this man deserves to die. By all standards, this man deserves what he's doing to others to be done to him. But it's mind-blowing that the scripture tells us that this chief tax collector, who is difficult to love, who deserves death, whose society will be better without this man who intentionally hurts people and rips people and rips families apart. This man wants to see Jesus. This man that we feel all hope is lost. He's chosen to be bad. He's chosen to be evil. Besides that, I want to see Jesus. Write this down. No matter what your sin looks like, it must never stop you from coming to God. Nobody is disqualified from coming to God. I don't know what you've done in the past. I don't know what kind of hearts you've broken. I don't know what you've done that you believe this thing deserves capital punishment. 
but nobody is disqualified from coming to God. But it's interesting that as Zacchaeus is trying to find Jesus, that there's a crowd. And the crowd makes it difficult for him to find Jesus. If you were in the crowd, you probably know Zacchaeus. If you were in the crowd, you probably say, today is the day I will show this guy. I will block him. I will elbow him. I will eye him. I will push him aside. Today is a day, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. A fingernail for a fingernail. I'm going to get this guy back. The crowd represents anyone who prevents another person from getting to Jesus. The crowd represents anyone who prevents another person from coming to Jesus. And as a church, you and me shouldn't be the reason why the lost cannot make their way to Jesus. We shouldn't be the reason why someone who is far from Jesus cannot make it close to Jesus. Because you might be the only Jesus someone gets to see. The crowd blocked Jesus. And you're probably asking me, PN, I mean, I'm not blocking anyone. Think about it. Have you ever invited someone to church before? And when was the last time you did? Have you ever preached the good news to someone before? When was the last time you did? Some of us have said that we are found, but we behave like we are lost. Some of us represent, misrepresent Jesus all the time. In our attitude, in our conduct, in our speech, all these are hindrances that people see and it blocks people from getting to Jesus. Some of us say we've been found, but really we behave like we are dead. What you do with your life matters. What you say matters. How you dress matters. The kind of music you dance to matters. The kind of joke you laugh at matters. It all matters because people are watching. Are you misrepresenting Jesus? Are you blocking someone who is far from Jesus to get close to Jesus because of how you represent him? The crowd blocks Jesus. There's a world around us who are far from Jesus but want to make their way to him. They are desperate and they are trying to make their way to him. But sometimes because of what we do, we make it difficult for them to get to the feet of Jesus. There are people like Zacchaeus who we think are deplorable, who we think are evil and are sinful and are wicked. They are unworthy of love. They are crafty people. But like Zacchaeus, there's a God-sized hole in their heart. And they're desperately trying to make their way to Jesus. If only the crowd knew. If only the crowd knew. But I love Zacchaeus because he pushes past that. You know, I've heard people say that the church is made up of hypocrites. I've heard people say that the church is made up of fake people. I remember when I was in secondary school, when I got secondary school, SS1, first term, I said I won't go to SU because there was this SU senior being in my, my room. The woman was more wicked than the word wicked. And I remember I told myself that if this woman is going to preach to me, 
I mean, how can I make it? SU is made up of fake people. And I remember one day I was reading my Bible and I just felt God speak to me. That people are broken. I'm, I'm, you, you, you can't use people and what people do to stop you from coming to me. I know that people in church have hurt you. I know that church folk have probably disappointed you. I know that some of them have betrayed you. Some of them have broken your heart. But Zacchaeus moved past the crowd. Zacchaeus is just an amazing example of, even though I feel I'm not worthy, and even though there are people in front of me who are blocking me, my need is much greater than what people do. So I don't come to church looking for someone to be nice to me before I'm nice. I don't come to church looking for someone to smile at me before I show up in church. No, I show up in church because I have an appointment with Jesus. And I believe that because I need him, no matter what crowd stands in front of me, I'm going to make my way to him. The crowd also represents any situation that seems to magnify itself above the name of Jesus. It can be an ailment. We read about the woman with the issue of blood who, who bled for 12 years. The Bible tells us that she went to all physicians. They could not help her. In fact, she spent all that she could and she goes to a place where she actually got worse. But she said, no matter what stands in front of me, I'm going to make my way to Jesus. It can also represent fear. Because some of us are living in fear. I'm reminded of the story of the disciples who were with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. Of Galilee, and the Bible tells us that a storm comes and they get afraid. They are looking for Jesus because sometimes fear can keep you away and can raise his head above the name of Jesus. But thank God they went down to look for Jesus. Sometimes it can be a hopeless situation that you've tried everything you can, but you, you still cannot seem to break through. Just like Mary and Martha who lost their brother Lazarus. It looks like a helpless and a hopeless situation, but then came Jesus. And like Zacchaeus, sometimes it can be your insecurities. The Bible tells us that Zacchaeus was short. To all the short people here, there's hope for your future. You, have, you will never be forgotten. So Zacchaeus is going through his own insecurity. Man, I'm too short. I, I try all the time, but I just keep falling short. Everything I do does not, does, does not work. I, I just fall short all the time. But Zacchaeus is amazing because he says, forget about this shortness. The Bible tells us that he sprints to get to a sycamore tree. And then he gets there. He runs ahead and he climbs to the tree. And we can read that scripture and not feel anything and not understand what it's saying. But in those days, affluent men did not run. In those days, rich men did not run. Because if you had to run, it means you had to raise up your tunic. And to raise up your tunic, it means that your legs would be exposed. And showing your legs was a shameful act. And showing your legs was a disgraceful act. So can you imagine this rich man who everyone thinks, oh, he's fine. I mean, he steals, yeah, but like he's sorted, he's rich. He's, his children have, are going to a nice school, like he's sorted. And then he's sprinting past them, disgracing himself, saying that at this moment, my fame doesn't matter. 
At this moment, my money doesn't matter. At this moment, what people say about me doesn't matter. All I need to do is make it to Jesus. I just need to have a glimpse of him. You cannot come to Jesus with your cool self. Write that one down. You cannot come to Jesus with your cool self. You cannot come to Jesus with your put-together self. You come to Jesus broken. We don't come to Jesus having everything. I'm too cool for church. I'm too cool for school. So we come to church and we can't even raise up our hands. We can't kneel down if you want to. You can't roll on the floor if you want to. You can't dance if you want to. Church is not about keeping up appearances. Church is about encountering the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we come to God broken. We don't care our titles. The Bible tells us that we have to cast down our crowns. All the crowns that we hold dear to us. Your education, your fame, your family. You lift that thing up and you put it down. Maybe it's for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. But on Sunday, we cast it down and we come before the king of kings. We come broken. Zacchaeus is not looking to even talk to Jesus. It's amazing. Zacchaeus is not looking to touch Jesus. Zacchaeus really just wants a glimpse of Jesus. I'm sure in his mind, he's like, um... You know, I've heard people say that this guy, he heals people. This guy does amazing things. I mean, his word is solid. I, I just want to know if it's a myth or if it's reality. I, I just want to see if somebody like that exists. I just want a glimpse of him just so that I have hope. I, this is the man I've heard about, but I just want to see if he exists. I think that for Zacchaeus as well, he is processing that how can such a holy man, how can such a righteous man, how can a man like this who even claims to be God himself, someone who is so nice to people, someone that gives rather than receives, someone that loves people wholeheartedly, how can such a righteous and holy man want anything to do with me? So I'm not looking for a relationship. I just want to know that he exists. So that one day when I get to a point where, you know, I've cleaned up my life, I would know that someone like this exists and I can meet him. Zacchaeus is not looking for a relationship with Jesus. He just wants to know that Jesus exists. He just wants a glimpse. And this is the best part for me. I've read this scripture so many times. When I, when I got to this part of the scripture, tears literally filled my eyes. Because this is the best part of the entire thing. Here comes Jesus, living on mission. His goal is Jerusalem. He's making his way to there. But in that moment, he is here for it. In that moment, he is there. He's looking for ways to be a blessing. The Bible tells us that he gets to the place where Zacchaeus was. And he looks up and he saw Zacchaeus. And he said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, Make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And I can only imagine the shock on Zacchaeus' face. First of all, how does he know my name? Because for Zacchaeus, all this time, the reason why he ran up the sycamore tree was because the crowd blocked him from seeing Jesus. He thought he was invisible to God. He thought he was irrelevant to God. He thought he didn't catch the eye of God. 
But he didn't realize that even though the crowd surrounded him and blocked him from seeing Jesus, it didn't mean that Jesus could not see him. That Jesus saw him all the while. The crowd might make it difficult for you to see Jesus. But know that Jesus has never and will never take his eyes off you. He assumed that because I cannot see Jesus, maybe, maybe Jesus cannot also see me. He didn't realize that even though the crowd is vast and the crowd seems righteous and the crowd seems holy and the crowd sees large, that Jesus saw him in Psalm 139 verse 79. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take up the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. It is impossible to be hidden from God. In this place right now, you might feel like you are hidden. Human beings see a crowd. But God sees individuals. Human beings see plenty of people. It's a sea of people. But God says, I even know the number of hairs on your head. It is impossible to hide from God. I don't know how far you've gone away from him. I don't know what stands in front of you that makes you feel like you are invisible. That makes you feel like he's not here for you. That makes you feel like he doesn't see you. He's blessing others and my blessing hasn't come. He's healing others and my healing hasn't come. Today, my message for you is that he sees you no matter how big the crowd is. Zacchaeus wanted a glimpse, but Jesus wanted relationship. Jesus placed identity on Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. Can you imagine? This guy has never met this man before. He doesn't know him from anywhere. In fact, he feels lost in the crowd and Jesus literally stops. The crowd is there. He stops. Today is my moment with you, Zacchaeus. He places identity on him. In the midst of all the craziness and the hustle and the bustle of life, God knows your name. God knows who you are. Someone needs to know that God sees you. God sees you as an individual located in this part of the world. He knows your name. In Isaiah 43 verse 1, it says, But now that stares the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. He doesn't call you by the name that your parents called you. He says you are mine. You are chosen. You are selected. You are the apple of my eye. You are redeemed. You are called. You are anointed. You are forgiven. He calls you and says you are mine. Interestingly, Zacchaeus' name means pure and righteous. I know. He's been living the total opposites. Of what his name means. I'm sure when people see him, they say, look at the tax collector. They've forgotten his name is Zacchaeus. But Jesus shows up and he doesn't see a tax collector. 
He doesn't see his sin. He doesn't see the dirt. He reminds him of his name. He saves Zacchaeus, you, the pure one. You, the righteous one. God would always remind you of who you are. And whenever God reminds you of who you are, don't go back to what you used to be. He always comes in and he redefines our life. He forgot his name, but Jesus reminded him of his identity. Jesus also pursued him passionately. When I was preparing the message, I wrote aggressively. And I said, you know what, you let me relax. So I changed it to passionately. <laughs> he pursued him passionately. He says, Zacchaeus, today I must come to your house. Zacchaeus never invited Jesus. Zacchaeus didn't want Jesus to come to his house. Because whenever you invite someone to your house, you're inviting them to your intimate space. You're inviting them to your most vulnerable space. You're inviting them to the part of your life that you probably don't want any, anyone to see because there are things that we do in our house that we don't bring out. It's hidden. It's closed. So he doesn't want Jesus to come, but Jesus says, today I must, not I want to, I must come for your house. Today I'm making room for you. Today I'm coming to you. I'm coming to your intimate space. Jesus passionately pursues us. The scripture tells us that God demonstrates his love towards us. While that we're still sinners, Christ died for us. That Christ decided that I'm coming to your house. I must make room for you. I'm coming to your, the, the house of your heart and I'm coming to encounter you. That when we were still sinners, while Zacchaeus was still a sinner, Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. You don't have to clean up your mess before you come to me. I'm coming to your house. Jesus pursued him passionately. The Bible tells us that Zacchaeus welcomed him joyfully. Because whenever Jesus welcomes himself, there still needs to be a response from us. When Jesus says, I'm at the door and I knock, are you there to answer me? He doesn't force his, his way. He says, I must come, but you have to receive me. So Zacchaeus goes ahead and receives him joyfully. Scripture tells us in 1 John 1 verse 9 that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Zacchaeus welcomes him, welcomes Jesus. And Jesus cleanses Zacchaeus of his sins. And once Zacchaeus encounters Jesus, Scripture tells us that he tells Jesus that I, for all the people that I owe, all the people that I took money from, I'll give it back to them. In fact, I'll give it back to them and I'll give it to them in fourfold. The law requires that if you steal from somebody, give them what you stole plus 10%. But Zacchaeus is like, no, I've encountered this abundance grace. And I cannot sit down and pick a calculator and calculate what is 10% of the grace that God has shown me. So he says, I know what the law requires of me, but I'm doing over and above. I'm doing more. I'm giving fourfold. Because whenever we encounter such real love and such amazing grace, 
the automatic response is overflowing generosity. Jesus never preached a message about giving. Jesus never preached a message about tithing. But Zacchaeus knows that once he's experienced this, he has to do something back. And what he can do is to be generous. No wonder the world fights us when we want to be generous. Because it's one of the most significant ways we can prove to God that for what you've done for me, I cannot pay you back. The fact that you picked me up from my sin and my debt, you picked me up from the Mary Clay and look at me standing right here preaching to people, there is no way that I can just respond and fold my arms. It requires overflowing generosity. That's what happens when you encounter Jesus. And so to you, Cornerstone family, our response should be overflowing generosity for what God has done for us. We must partner with him to accomplish his mission, but we must also not come to church and just warm chairs. You can't come to church and just fold your arms. You can't come to church and just do nothing. You can't come to church and just be there. We must not be consumers. We must respond. We must do something for God. We must invite someone to church. We must serve in the house of God. We must talk about God. We must post something on social media about God. We cannot just be passive. Someone who has encountered God genuinely is not a passive Christian. Someone who says, God, I'm here for it. God, I see what you've done for me. I saw that you didn't pass me by. There were others. There were others around you, but you stepped out of the crowd and you looked up at the sycamore tree and you saw a girl whose heart was broken and you saw a girl who was hurting and needed love and you looked at me and you called my name and you said blessed and you said chosen. Today is the day I make my house in your heart and you came down and you died for my sin. The natural response is that I show you gratitude. Thank you for listening to the message. God bless you.